0: Hello, my name is Andrew Gomeson, and as always, it is my privilege to come to you as the host of the Speaking for Him podcast. Each and every week, it is my goal to provide you with some encouragement or admonishment or a little of both as we traverse this Christian journey together, keeping in mind that we are in a marathon, not a sprint, and that we need each other. The Bible says that God puts the solitary in families, so whether that is your biological nuclear family, or an adopted family, or your church family, that is God's goal and vision for society. So I hope that I can come alongside you and encourage you and build you up in the things of the Lord, and that you will enjoy what is shared today. If you are a first-time listener, please take the time to reach out to me. I love receiving feedback from my listeners, and you will have the opportunity at the end of the show to hear the contact information which will roll at that time. Today I'm really excited about the show, and I know I say that almost every week, because it is exciting to be able to come to you uh, with new and exciting content. Uh, But today is really special to me because a few weeks ago I sat down with a good friend of mine, John Wilson, and we talked about media and ministry, and he was actually interviewing me for a college assignment for Moody College um, out of Chicago that he takes online classes through. And I really thought that the conversation had the potential to be extremely informative and encouraging to my audience. So I asked him if I could share it here. And I'm excited that over the next two weeks, I will be sharing that interview with you, so I'm so excited to get to that and I hope that you will uh, be encouraged by it Uh, because as with anything else, uh, we need to make sure that we are being salt and light everywhere and that includes in the media and entertainment space. And so I think you will benefit greatly from the conversation that we have later, but before we get to that, Let's talk about what is going on. Well, we are just about one week, a little bit less, from the general election uh, for the midterms. And I haven't talked anything about candidates, but I have been reviewing for you the Michigan proposals on our ballot These proposals are so important for us to be informed on because the goal of each proposal is to enshrine certain things into the state constitution, and those things are very hard to reverse, so it makes it important for us to know when we go to the polls how we feel about each one and to confidently cast our vote whichever way We feel led to do and today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about proposal one.
1: You can already see an example of what your ballot will look like on the Department of State website. So you've got your top races up top, the race for governor, the race for Secretary of State, and the race for Attorney General. But there are some important races and proposals towards the bottom of your ballot that also hold a lot of weight, including Proposal 1, which has the potential to amend the Michigan State Constitution. Proposal 1 is separated into two main parts. The first requires top state officials to disclose some financial information after 2023. Things like income sources and assets of the governor, Secretary of State, and Attorney General. The second part deals with term limits for state legislators, and this is a big one, as it would amend the state constitution, replacing the current limits of six years in the House and eight years in the Senate for a 14-year total to a 12-year total cap in any combination of service in the House or Senate. Former State Chamber of Commerce CEO Rich Studley helped draft this proposal.
2: I think it's a great example of citizens making sure that state government works for us rather than the politicians.
1: But for Patrick Anderson, who helped pass the current limits back in 1992, the proposal is deceiving.
2: The legislature is
3: trying to extend their own time in office by repealing the existing term limits but kind of mixing it in and to some degree hiding it behind a proposal to at some future year to adopt a disclosure law.
1: It was important for supporters like Rich to make sure the proposal got on the ballot so voters could make the decision for themselves if they wanted to make these changes or not. He believes, though, it is time for change.
2: 30 years ago, I voted for term limits. I think it's been helpful to prevent politicians from having a lifetime career in Lansing. But after 30 years, it's time to revise and update term limits.
1: As for the financial disclosure section, Rich says it's unacceptable that Michigan and Idaho are the only two states that do not require elected officials to disclose that personal financial information. Patrick argues the language is just too vague and you wouldn't see any disclosure anyways. As you can see, the wording in the proposal says income sources, not an actual Dollar amount.
3: I think some of them might be writing things like, I work hard for the citizens. That's the source of my income.
1: A yes vote on proposal one would put that 12-year term limit on legislators and their time in state office and require some financial disclosure of top officials. A no vote on proposal one would retain the status quo that we have had in place for 30 years on term limits and not require any financial disclosure for now. Rudolf Sinaita, Fox MNT News.
0: Okay, so this brings up some interesting thoughts. First of all, when I first saw this proposal, I was like, why? Because we already have term limits in place. They were d- detailed in this story. Basically, I think it's eight years in the Michigan State Senate and six years in the House uh, for a total of 14 years. And now what they're talking about is 12 years mixed and matched among either house. And the first thing that came to my mind is that we already have term limits and I'm pretty happy with the way those term limits work out right now. So I don't really think that we have a need to change the term limit policy uh, in our state. So that's my first thought. My second thought on the financial disclosures front is... On the surface, it sounds great to have a candidate disclose their finances, and yes, there should be a a level of transparency there that may or may not exist in a lot of areas. However, I can see how problematic this could be in the sense that you could be penalized, at least in the court of public opinion, and maybe even um, in a more drastic way based on how you have chosen to spend your finances. So while I don't think it's a bad idea for a candidate to voluntarily share their financial information when they're seeking to be a transparent candidate, I hesitate to say whether this should be the law of the land. And I think that's one of the things that I've always thought as I'm growing up in in this political environment that we live in is that not every good idea has to become a law. Uh, Maybe you should just do it because it's a good idea and not wait to be legally compelled to do it. And so that's just a brief overview of Proposal 1. And so I hope that it is beneficial to you. As with the last two proposals, I do have a link uh, that is going up on my blog this week that has the exact wording of each proposal, and so you can go and find that on the blog post for this episode at speakingforhim.blogspot.com. The next thing I want to talk about today is The Chosen. The Chosen Season 3, the first two episodes, will be in theaters on November 18th. For a limited engagement, I think last time they had a Fathom event for their Christmas special, they were guaranteed a week and then it expanded to three or four weeks because there was interest. And the reason I'm bringing up The Chosen again is because there is another mini-controversy with The Chosen. In the trailer, there is a place about halfway through where Jesus replies to the Pharisees who say that if he doesn't, shape up, they're going to exact punishment um, to him based on the law of Moses, and he replies, I am the law of Moses. And there was a good number of people, I guess there was even some YouTube videos refuting this and saying that this was a quote from the Book of Mormon and that the Chosen was getting steeped in Mormonism, and Dallas Jenkins took the opportunity to set the record straight.
3: I don't want to take too much time on it, but I do think there are enough people who who have been confused by it that I do want to address it. So number one, of course, I'm not quoting from the Book of Mormon. I've never read the Book of Mormon. The first time I spent too much time, not I shouldn't say too much time, any time on this, was after people started saying I was quoting from the Book of Mormon, so I checked it out. I'm like, actually, I'm not. It's not the same quote. But even if it was, it doesn't really matter, um, because I still stand by uh, by the quote. Um, you know, who also said the same thing, uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great theologians of all time, uh, evangelical theologian, who said Christ is the law incarnate. And uh of course, no one came out and publicly was saying, Dallas Jenkins just took from Charles Spurgeon." Uh, but uh, here's the spoiler alert. Um, I wasn't taking from either of them. It's not that revolutionary of a concept, uh, which I'll explain in just a moment. Um, and uh, another thing is my consultants, you know we have uh, you know a messianic Jewish rabbi and a, a evangelical scholar. New Testament scholar and they read my script, I have pastors and I have friends and and uh, who, who, we take this stuff very, very seriously and, and anytime Jesus is speaking we think, you know, we want to make sure that we reflect the character of Jesus in the Gospels they had no problem with it um, and so when people are saying uh, trying to explain to me why it's wrong uh, uh, trust me, we've already, got, we've, we, we've already thought through these things, we take these things seriously in advance um, and uh, so someone just commenting on YouTube isn't just going to make us go oh my goodness, we never thought of that Um, so here is I do believe that it's theologically plausible uh, depending on what word word you want to use but but we do believe that it's theologically accurate Christ is the word, Christ is above all, he created all, he's the fulfillment of the law, he's the replacement uh, of the law, now that's not to do away with the law, he didn't do away with the law in fact he actually says that, but Christ is the ultimate authority and um, so when he says I am the law it's Kind of the equivalent, in many ways it's a figure of speech, of course, because Christ didn't actually say these exact words in Scripture. We don't know if he said something like that or not, Uh, but we think that it's certainly possible. But it's like when an ultimate authority goes to someone's house, and let's say they're confronting a citizen, and the citizen says, I'm going to call the police, I want to talk to the police. If that person says... Bro, I am the police. Now, they're not actually saying they're the, the police. They're saying, I am your ultimate authority. What you think is the ultimate authority. What you are trying to appeal to, that's me. I'm replacing what you put in your mind as the ultimate law. I am what you think is the law. Now, that's what Jesus is doing. In this scene, and what's ironic about this controversy is that when you watch the entire scene, it's obviously taken from the time when Jesus is in Nazareth preaching in the synagogue, and uh, in this scene in the show, it is by far the most explicit portrayal of Jesus asserting his lordship, asserting his sole role as savior, as, res- as responsible for your salvation that the show has ever had. It's him outright saying, your religion doesn't save you. Your law doesn't save you. Your traditions don't save you. Only I save you. And that's what's funny about this thing is that that scene, I believe most people who watch it will actually be extremely excited about this because the chosen is making such a bold assertion, quoting Jesus from the Gospels, uh, from that from that famous scene and in, in, uh, that takes place in Nazareth. And so when the Pharisees are not, in, in that moment are so horrified, and shocked and saying, we're going to assert the law of Moses because the law of Moses says that false prophets must die. And Jesus is saying, I am the law of Moses. Now, he's not only saying, I am the fulfillment of the law of Moses, which I believe is similar to, if not the exact same thing, as I am the law of Moses. But he's saying, I am your authority. I am asserting my lordship and my kingship. And that's why we stand behind the line. So that's it. Just wanted to share that.
0: So I have to hand it to Dallas that every time there's some kind of minor to major quote-unquote controversy from The Chosen, he's willing to sit down and explain this is why we did what we did. And he clearly says in this video that if you still don't agree with him, then that's fine. You don't have to totally agree with him. But I like the way he strikes the balance and says, hey, this is as true to the Bible as we can make it while still being creative with the storytelling and making it a compelling drama and exploring the possible and the plausible. And as someone who has created fictional narratives about the Bible myself, I I greatly respect that. And I really like what he said about this being an analogous to someone in a crime drama saying, I'm going to call the police. And then the police officer saying, actually, I am the police. You don't have to go call the police because I am the police. You know, it's kind of surreal when you think about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness uh, that Jesus is reciting Deuteronomy to the devil And the reality is that Jesus is the author of Deuteronomy. Jesus is the author of the law. And so that seems to be the tenor of what the line, I am the law of Moses is. And I remain excited for season three of The Chosen to kick off in theaters Um, in November. I am not sure if I will be able to attend it in theaters because I will be busy with my Christmas show as the Ghost of Christmas Present. By the way, for those who are local to the Grand Rapids or West Michigan areas, tickets are on sale, so please take the time to go to masterarts.org and get your tickets and join us for this heartwarming show. But all that to say, I will continue to review The Chosen and continue to do so with a critical eye. I'm willing to... Concede when I don't agree with something in his narrative. You know, I've done that in the past. I will continue to look to the Bible as the only true source. And I really do believe in the sincerity of Dallas's hope that this series, The Chosen, will drive people to the scriptures. And really for any content creator, that should be the goal is that I'm going to create God glorifying content that is going to compel people to dig deeper into faith. And I really think that that dovetails really well with the conversation that I have for you with my friend, John Wilson in just a few moments. But before we do that, I wanted to share with you a clip, um, from Charlie Kirk And he is giving a black woman, actually, an opportunity to talk about the reality of the racial component of abortion.
1: What is your message to white liberals out there that are trying to push this in
3: the black community?
2: Um (sighs) That, um, if you don't do the research and if you don't understand, then shut up. Do the research. No, I'm serious. Do the work. Do the work. Uh, Understand why that over, I think it's 88% of Planned Parenthoods are strategically placed in black and minority neighborhoods. Why? Let's reverse engineer. Why is it like in the uh, state of New York, there are more black babies being murdered in the womb than are alive. So the worst of Marcus Sanger has turned out to be prophetic. And also the abortion agenda is a multi-billion dollar industry. There is money in dead baby parts. You can find it. It was found in food, cosmetics, everywhere. So this is the facts. This is the truth. Amen.
3: Give it up for her. That's great. Give it up for her.
0: It's so moving to hear this lady talk about these issues and to see how passionate she is about this. Because a lot of people will say that this is a white issue. And that uh, all you're trying to do when you are pro-life is to uh, oppress the black race. But the reality is that Margaret Sanger established Planned Parenthood with the goal of eliminating the inferior races and raising up an inferior race. She had very similar worldview to Adolf Hitler. And I know that seems extreme, but if you do your research, you will find that that is true there's another video that I didn't have time to pull for the podcast. I may play a clip of it next week. If I have the chance to figure out what portion to share with you, but there was a recent, uh, black values summit. I believe it was here in Michigan. And I watched a video of these black leaders. I think there were three liberals and three conservatives debating on stage um, and the video that I watched was particularly about the topic of abortion. And what stuck out to me in that clip was one of the pro-life leaders pointed out that very recently, there was a statistic out of New York City that 50% of all black babies in New York City are aborted. I think he was citing 2020 or 2021. And he said there were 22,000 live births in New York city in that year. And then there were 22,000 abortions. Just think about that statistic that that many black babies are being aborted. It's the single biggest Majority of the abortion cases are black Americans. So when people talk about black lives mattering, then you have to wonder why they're not thinking about the number of black lives that are being snuffed out by abortion. And the reality is because it's agenda driven, like the lady in this clip said, it's a multi-billion with a B dollar industry industry. But we need to have our heads on straight. We need to cry out to God and ask him to save the babies of our land. I continue to be dumbfounded that I have friends that would love nothing more than to hold a little baby in their arms and to raise children for the glory of God when we have so many people in our society clamoring to kill their unborn children something to think about as we go through the weeks and months to come, especially as pertains to proposal three, which I think is the most important thing on the Michigan ballot. I've already talked about it, so I'm not going to talk about it in detail here. Just know if you want a detailed review, you can go back a couple weeks in the podcast and find that detailed review. And I just pray that you will pray for the unborn as you go to the ballot box uh, this next week and that you will choose life in Deuteronomy. The people of Israel are told to choose life that you and your descendants may live. We have the opportunity as a state to choose life. And I pray that we do. I'm very excited to share with you today my interview with John Wilson. This interview is unique in the fact that I was not conducting the interview, but rather was the one being interviewed. And I felt like our conversation was so encouraging. And I think that you will find it encouraging too, especially if you are seeking to be involved in media or the arts in some sort of way and to use these things to influence others for Jesus Christ. The reality is that though we may be tempted to dismiss media or the arts, it's where people live. We consume media and entertainment all of the time. So that means that if we want to reach people where they are, it's important to harness the power of media. I was talking about The Chosen a little while ago on this show, and that is just one example of how believers are harnessing the power of the media and the arts to get across the life-affirming message of Jesus. And I really think that you're going to enjoy this conversation as John and I just sit and unpack what it means to do this in the world in which we live in, today. But before we do that, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And for our quote of the day today, I just chose a very familiar verse or set of verses, but I think sometimes familiarity breathes apathy. So it's good for us to examine these familiar verses. And they come from Colossians three sixteen and 17, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And that's Colossians three, sixteen and 17. And the reason that I like these verses is... Paul is saying in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he says, what should you do with the word that's dwelling in you? You should teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And as you do that, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So I think this is a good jumping off point for the discussion that John and I had because it's not just doing uh, God's will as we go to work in the morning or as we uh, eat dinner around the table uh, with our families or as we go to the office. It's also doing God's will when we seek to harness media. For instance, There's a lot of podcasts out there. Um, and there's a lot of different things you can listen to podcasts on and a lot of different ways you can use this medium. Uh, but I have been called to use this medium to encourage the church to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. And that is a calling that I take very seriously. You know, each week when I roll up to the mic and I prepare to share with you guys, it is always my prayer. That someone will be encouraged, that someone will uh, be challenged to live a closer life with the one that loves us and gave himself for us. Because he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So if we want to be effective servants of the Lord, we need to abide with him. We need to share with others what we have learned and we need to ask him to grow us and allow him to conform us to the image of his son. And so, as I said, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my friend and brother in Christ, John Wilson.
4: All right. So, uh, Andrew,
0: how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, John. I'm really excited to talk to you this evening.
4: Awesome. So, Andrew, would you mind,
0: uh, for anybody who
4: might not know you or know kind of what you do, just telling us a bit about yourself?
0: Well, uh, the short version is that I am a traveling speaker who goes to churches throughout West Michigan and across the country. Although COVID has kind of had kind of shrunk my window of travel for preaching purposes, but I've preached in Tennessee and Illinois, among other places, but mostly in West Michigan. But I also uh, started a podcast in 2012, which I've been doing faithfully ever since. So I I just really have a heart for encouraging uh, my fellow believers, particularly to walk closer with Jesus and to get back to the blueprint of the Bible, especially when it concerns family issues.
4: Yeah. What was it that made you want to jump from just doing speaking to actually start uh, speaking for him, your podcast?
0: Well, I, I actually think it might be fair to say that I had a broadcaster's mind and heart before I got the call to preach because I was the kid with the, fisher price tape recorder at seven mm-hmm. years old mm-hmm. i was always recording my own uh little radio shows right down to sometimes i would do fake giveaways i liked to copy the the uh djs on wcsg our local station here and i always dreamed that one day i would get an opportunity to work in radio and i still kind of have that dream so we'll see what god does when did you um,
4: – so if you kind of always wanted to be in the, the media broadcasting kind of world, what was it that made you feel the call to preaching, like God was trying to lead you there too?
0: Well, I think I've always had a love for the Word of God, and I've always had a heart for seeing the truth accurately preached. I think it the the huge call to preaching was probably – When I was in college, I was asked to write a, like a paper on what, where I saw myself in five years. And really, I started out with this goal of writing a book for the youth to encourage them to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. Because I know some people have had really good youth group experiences. My youth group experiences weren't that great. I saw a lot of youth wasting their time and wasting some really good years And so I felt compelled to write a book for young people. But when I started to write that book, then I started to think about, well, God has different callings for men and women. And so, and this was before any of the the gender issues that we see in the media today. But I started to get a burden that the church was blurring the lines between the roles of men and women. So I actually wrote an ebook, which you can still get on Amazon called Men of Valor, where I outline you know, the biblical uh, perspective of, of God and the gender roles and how it all kind of fits together in a big picture. Because I think a lot of times we look at things um, in a bubble and we say the individual things that I do have no bearing on anybody else or on what's going to happen around me. And the reality is that they do because everything works together to the decisions we make today cause things to happen that affect our decisions later, and they affect the decisions of those around us. So I really wanted to give people that big picture vision. And then from that, um I started to really feel uh, the call to preach. I actually think I first got a call and felt called to preach when I was 12 or 13 years old, but God had to refine my vision and mature me before he was ready To really call me, I really resonate with the story of Moses uh, because Mm. if you read in the book of Acts, he had somewhat of a vision, according to Acts chapter 7, to redeem his people when he was a young guy in Egypt, but he went about it the wrong way. And then God led him out to the desert for 40 years. And then by the time he was ready, To use Moses. Moses was like, I can't do this. And God then has that confrontation with him at the burning bush where he says, I made your mouth. I'll tell you what to say. You just go. And I really had a similar experience in my life.
4: Yeah, that's awesome. I totally relate to that too. I feel like a lot of times you have to get to your breaking point, kinda like a horse, where it's like God kind of pushes your character to a to a breaking point till he can mold it into what he wants it to be. And then He uh, directs you to that thing. But then just like you were saying, I know for me, as I've grown in my life, I'm like, well, now I kind of feel like I'm a, I'm a weaker or not as strong person as I was. And I don't quite feel as confident, but God always (laughs) pushes you out and enables you and through his power. And it's awesome. So, um, podcasting, you started podcasting in, in 2012, I believe, right?
0: That's correct. Actually, As of the time of this recording, I just posted the 522nd episode of my podcast, and next week I will be recording my 10th anniversary podcast. I've gone 10 whole years without any stoppages of doing a weekly podcast, and I'm actually releasing the 10th anniversary podcast 10 years to the day from the time that I released the very first episode.
4: That is awesome. That is a huge achievement. That's so cool. So twenty twelve that was kind of like podcasts had started and had there had been like some zeitgeist there, and then obviously there's kind of like been at least I've seen in my generation this resurgence of getting into podcasts like talk shows or um you know like the true crime podcast I know is really big amongst our friends and stuff um but what was it about media that uh drew you to that and and that has sort of enabled you? to live out your calling if that makes sense.
0: Well, I think just communicating to people and and drawing people out of themselves and having good conversations I think is one reason why I I resonated with the podcast thing. In all honesty, like I got the opportunity through WJQ in Zeeland, Michigan to do morning devotions uh, because I reached out to all the West Michigan radio stations and said, I have this ministry speaking for him. I'd like to talk to you about it and potentially on air to get more opportunities to speak. I wasn't really thinking in terms of doing a lot of radio work, but Chris and Emily Danielson, who are now um, pastoring a church in Kansas at the time, they were the morning show couple who were on JQ and they were starting a segment called devotions in motion. And that segment was, for church leaders and ministers to come in and do a, you know, three to five minute devotional that would air in the mornings. And when I went in the first time, I thought it was only going to be a one-time deal. But the day that my first one aired, they called and asked me for my second appearance. And I actually did that for a year and a half to two years. Well, I don't remember exactly when I heard about podcasting. True funny story in the early days I saw the podcasting app on my BlackBerry. This is how far back we go. (laughs) But I, and I never touched it because I thought you had to pay money to Mm. listen to podcasts. So I left it alone. And then somewhere along the line, I heard about blog talk radio. And so I started investigating podcasting and I found out that there was times when the studio was empty for WJQ, even though the radio station was on the air. And in January of 2012, I went on a talk show on JQ called Ignite with J.R. Pittman. And one of the people that was working on the show was a young guy um, named Adam McNutt, who served as the executive producer there. And he was a homeschooler. And he actually went right into radio out of high school. Never, never went to college. Still hasn't been to college. But eventually he went to be the morning show host there. And now he's left to be a youth minister, but, and we're still really good friends, but long story short, he, I, we hit it off. And as we started to talk to one another and I got this vision for the podcast, I met with the ownership of the station and I said, can I use the studio when no one is recording a show? And they said, yes, you can. Well, I can't reach the board at the studio because it's, way too high for me to reach. There was no way for me to do that. So I asked him if he would come alongside as my executive producer. And so just like that, I had a radio studio and an executive producer and he served in that capacity for the first 256 episodes plus. So
4: that's awesome. Yeah. God really just lined up all those things and just kind of pushed you in on the deep end there. That's really cool.
0: You want to talk about pushing me in on the deep end when COVID happened, I had three podcast episodes in the can Mm. pre-recorded because I would always record two or three ahead. Sometimes in the winter, I would get as many as seven weeks ahead because I was traveling to Holland twice a month to record. And so it wasn't possible to do that every week. So. Mm. When COVID happened, I was like, I have three episodes. If we have a two to three week shutdown, it won't be a big deal. I can get in and record. <laughs> but three weeks turned into all of a sudden there were no more shows left. And I was like, if I'm going to keep doing this, I got to do it at home. Mm-hmm. So I just, those first couple episodes, first several episodes at home are nothing special. And I would like to go back and actually re-edit the audio. Cause they're not that good.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: But then I realized that this COVID thing wasn't ending really quickly. So I got on YouTube and I said, I've always wanted to have a studio. So I'm going to do some YouTube research and see what's out there. And, and that was again, God working because he showed me how he led me to videos of how to edit on on audacity and then how to, find a really good recording solution, which is the Rodecaster Pro all-in-one podcasting studio. And so I got that in July of 2020. So I've been using that for a little over two years. And now I do all my editing and production right at home. And it's paid for itself over and over by the savings in gas. And I have even more control over my show. And I've learned stuff that I never thought I'd be able to do and was pushed out of my comfort zone by circumstances out of my control. Mm.
4: That's so cool. And that's what a blessing then to just have that in your house and be able to just go utilize that whenever and all just through God's providence. That's awesome.
0: Along those lines, if I can just mention this, mm-hmm. that led to 2020. Um, Nobody, nobody was doing theater and, I've always had a love for drama and theater, so I was like, I want to do this Pilgrim's Progress Readers Theater, so I wrote 10 scripts, divided the book into 10 sections, and we recorded it over a six-week period, and John was actually a part of it, and you can listen to that on my podcast. Um, I don't remember what the exact episode numbers are, it's like in the 470s or something, but all 10 of those episodes are on my podcast, and they turned out really well for Zoom recordings, I must say.
4: So you've gotten a new home studio. Um, you've started to delve into some some audio drama things, uh, which I thought was really exciting to be a part of and was really cool to see you stretch and, and try that out. Are there other changes or other ways um, that your approach to podcasting or just your approach to media in general, um, whether making that or or consuming that has changed over the last 10 years that you've been podcasting?
0: Well, in the early going, I really tried to keep my podcast out of the political arena. If anybody knows me personally, they know I'm fairly active politically. Um, I even served for a little while as the deputy treasurer of my township. So politics, local and state and even federal are important to me, but I always tried to keep that separate from the podcast. But after I brought the podcast home and realized I had more control over it, I did begin to do some social political commentary on every episode of my podcast. And the reason for that is because I think that every moral issue Or Let me rephrase that. I think that every political issue is a moral issue. And so when I do speak on those issues, I'm speaking about them because I think that Christians need to be aware of them and look at them through the lens of the scriptures. And I think that, yes, the Bible says that times will wax worse and worse, but I don't want to be a part of the apathy that facilitates the worse and worse getting faster than necessary if that makes any sense
4: yeah for sure so why do you think it's important for us as christians to step into this sort of arena of media of broadcasting with podcasts or with uh, film and tv or youtube um, as opposed to just going out and evangelizing in person
0: well i think part of it is you have to meet people where they are i mean it would, it would be absolutely foolish and like living under a rock to come at this and say, well, I don't listen to podcasts, <laughs> so I'm never going to engage the medium as someone who is a content creator and, and has a passion as a teacher, especially of things of scripture. I think you have to be in every medium possible to get your message across. I remember several years ago when I was working for Right to Life of Michigan, we would call people and ask them for money because we were working on, uh, advertising campaigns for television and, and things of that nature. And some people would say, well, I'm not going to donate to that cause I don't have a TV. And, and I was like, I was like, but you know what? The person, the person that's in crisis, they do have a TV and they do watch TV And they do need to hear this message coming out of their TV. Mm. So I think that's an important thing to think about too, is the fact that even if it's a medium that you largely shy away from, there are always going to be people that don't, and you want to be able to meet them where they are.
4: Yeah. And I think too, that speaks to the importance of callings across really the whole spectrum of careers and, uh, mediums like you were saying i know a lot of times you know i'm kind of navigating this weird in-between calling of feeling called to ministry but also every time i kind of focus on a traditional pastoral path god always redirects me to well you're an artist and i made you to make art and you're supposed to do that too and i always kind of view that spiritually as less than because i'm like well if i'm just doing a play or if i'm doing um you know a podcast or if i'm uh, making a short film what eternal significance does that have? But like you said, a lot of times those can meet people where they are, especially if it's a story or something where, you know, there's already a really vibrant community of young people that are going out to see shows or that are listening to podcasts uh their whole day while they're working. And so, you know, I don't think that those really are less than just because you're not preaching from a pulpit or just because you're not going out and talking to people one on one. There's really unique ways that God uses people in all those mediums, too. And to him, those might be just as important in the ways he wants to use it for his kingdom.
0: Well, and I think, too, when you think about the Great Commission, it says, Go ye, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. And then then the second part of it is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So really preaching the gospel and evangelizing is only the first half of that. Mm -hmm. So what I've tried to do with the speaking for him podcast is really come alongside people primarily that are already believers and say, you know what? We can walk closer with Jesus. This is what Jesus really wants us to get and not just be on the surface. Cause there's so many people today. It's one of the biggest burdens on my heart that, um, that that there are so many people here today in the world today that call themselves believers, but they don't really know what the Bible says Mm. and they don't believe in black and white, absolute truth anymore. Mm. And so I feel like that's one of my callings is to talk about absolute truth and not be afraid of it.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like there's a really unique way that media that, the things that we absorb, be that news or, or stories through film or theater or novels, um, or podcasts or music, all of these things, um, they can really shine lights on things and be a form of discipleship, even if you're creating something that, you know, like I think of, um, and this is because I'm a fantasy nerd, but I, you know, Tolkien. I love Tolkien, and any time that you read Tolkien, there is so much. Tr- there's a lot of fiction, but there's a lot of truth, and because it comes from that place, like you said, of absolute truth, and from his his Christian and he would say Catholic framework, um, it, it's all throughout the work, the the books and and the Silmarillion, everything that he wrote, there's just this like beautiful light of christ that's in it and that can kind of in its own way disciple people or get people to think about those things and i think that's really important too
0: and on the flip side there's plenty of media content out there that doesn't have that Mm -hmm. and you can really sense the difference between someone who's writing from a place of truth and light and someone that's just writing for entertainment value Mm -hmm. and we need to be able to separate that
4: yeah and learn to be discerning too because like No, I'm kind of talking a little more, but like, so I, I love, again, I'm a, I'm a nerd. So I watch a lot of the Marvel movies and a lot of the Marvel movies, there's elements that I think have really good messages and there's elements that, that maybe don't have as great messages, at least for me, from what I'm viewing and the like theological framework I'm viewing it from. So like picking out those points where you can see God's common grace working in it, where I can see in a specific plot line, oh, there's some truth of God that wormed its way in there, but then I can see this. And this isn't really very Christ-like. So learning to be able to look at it and be discerning instead of just taking it all in, I think is important for us as we kind of watch and participate as an audience uh in these different forms of media.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and media on a larger scale is a big part of what I do. The last couple episodes of my podcast that I did were movie reviews. Mm. So I do do movie reviews from a biblical perspective. Um, there are some organizations um, that are kind of watchdog organizations for Christian parents that will basically re- review everything, whether it's decent or not, and then say, this is why it's not decent. My my perspective on that is I will not review a movie unless I really feel like there's merit in it to begin with. And then Mm -hmm. I'll review it and go into detail on it. But like, for instance, I still have not seen the Russell Crowe Noah movie because I have heard that there's little to no redeeming value in it. And when you take a story like that and you take so much biblical truth out of it then i don't I don't really get the point, and I think it's kind of crazy talking about what we were talking about earlier about Tolkien showing light through his creativity and realizing that the person that directed and basically created that Noah movie was an atheist mm-hmm. and I'm like why are you why are you then producing one of the most important stories in the Bible,
4: especially if you have like no interest in telling it? truthfully because i think a lot of times you can see god's common grace in art when somebody says i want to get to the truth of this story but then when you go in and you really kind of have your own motive and you aren't respecting that story yeah it just i don't know and,
0: and i don't have a problem with creativity and writing even for biblical stories i like to write um narratives um you did one of those for me too where i did a narrative of the god of Uh, John doing a first-person perspective on the events of Good Friday. And, And some of the stuff I will, you know, intelligently subject, like I'll say this isn't necessarily biblical, but it fits with the biblical narrative. And I think that's what you owe any film or biblical project that you do is that it at least has to fit with the narrative because the narrative of the Bible is there for a reason. And so if we're going to dramatically alter it, the question is why.
4: Yeah. And like, I, I think a great example of that, I haven't seen the whole show. It's on my wife and I's list of shows to watch that is slowly being ticked away as we have time. But The Chosen, I think, does a really great job of taking the biblical story, the biblical framework, and the biblical themes um, and then expanding on them to say, okay, you know, if you're going to make a multi season show based on 28 chapters, that because it's Hebrew literature is pretty. Skim and you can get through pretty quickly. You've got to pat it out and flesh these characters out a little, but I think they do that in a in a way that ultimately stays truthful to the message of Scripture and and the beauty and truth of Scripture. So then it's it's a just a really enjoyable, fun show with great dynamics between the disciples and and Jesus, um, with some really moving parts. But then everything. At least for me, I I think some people have some qualms with it. But for me, it it all feels like it's all going back to that beauty and truth that the gospel communicates as well. And so it it just gets aligned in there. And so maybe it's not all word for word, but the heart behind it is to share the gospel. And and that comes through, I think.
0: I've actually reviewed the first two seasons on my podcast episode by episode and i'm looking forward to season three i do think they do a good job there are a couple episodes where i come on and i get very frank and saying you know there really isn't any reference to scripture in this episode so i have a real hard time with enjoying it as much as the others but again there's been nothing that i went i walked away from it saying there's no way it happened that way i don't know why they did this
4: they don't put random rock monsters in like they did with the noah movie
0: <laughs> and and i like the fact that particularly with mary magdalene they didn't just assume that she was a harlot mm-hmm. a lot of biblical projects assume that she was the woman caught in adultery and they never assumed that on the chosen they they assumed that she was troubled they knew that, that jesus cast demons out of her but they never assume just because of popular culture that she was a harlot. And I actually appreciated that.
4: Yeah. And that was such a powerful arc too.
0: So there you have the first half of my interview with John Wilson, uh, that I did with him a few weeks ago. Uh, but I hope that you've enjoyed that as we have unpacked this issue of sharing our faith within the arts community. I hope that you'll stay tuned, um, for next week's show as we, Conclude that interview, and that if you appreciated uh, this interview and the other aspects of the episode, that you will share it with family and friends. I really appreciate having my audience expand and having more people find out about me so that I can encourage them as we walk through this Christian life. That's about all I have time for today. Just want to say super thankful for John Wilson and thank you, John, for allowing me to use this interview on the show today. And with that being said, I will simply say to all of you, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters.
4: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gamson, founder of Speaking for Him.
2: For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four,